Experts tell us that we have become a nation that no longer eats as a family. Uh, that the five o'clock family dinner, the six o'clock family meal where uh, mom would spend the afternoon preparing it and dad would come home from work and the kids would wash up and join everybody at the table. That just doesn't happen anywhere outside of Norman Rockwell paintings. That's just the, not, the, not the world we live in anymore. Uh, dad and mom come home from work. Uh, the kids come home or run out. Everybody's in the kitchen, out of the kitchen. We don't eat so much now as we graze. Uh, so now you can order pre-done meals that they'll ship to your house. And you can have them done in your microwave in 30 seconds. For us, that's too long. <laughs> You know, we don't, we don't have 30 seconds to sit down. There's, there's something interesting on TV. We've got to go somewhere else. Uh, we've got homework to do. We've got a business project to complete. So uh, hi, bye, love y'all. Uh, let me know if you need anything. And that's kind of the meal. We kind of eat it on the run. We eat a lot in our car. A friend of mine bought a new car, and he swore up and down his kids would never eat in it. I told him, I said, why don't you just go to McDonald's and get a bag of fries, open the car door, and throw them in. That way you'll be over it. <laughs> you won't have to stress out anymore, right? That's the way we eat. We don't run. But you know, we're not the first family to do that. On a very dark night, When Israel was still in Egypt, God told them to prepare a meal. Don't wait for the bread to rise. There's no time to boil the water. Eat standing up. Eat fully clothed. Because you'll be eating on the run. We serve a God who never stays where you put him. And if you follow him, you're going to be eating on the run a lot. This is what the Israelites found out in the 12th chapter of Exodus. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this story in the beginning with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, now this month is to, begin, is to be the beginning of months for you. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, then the person and their neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You are to find an unblemished male animal, a year old male, and you take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month, and the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter these animals at, at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses where they are to eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it, roasted over the fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not take any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, only roasted over the fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left in the morning you must burn. Here's, here's how you must eat it. You must eat dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry, for this is the Lord's Passover. 
I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you stay will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you while I strike the land of Egypt. And this day is to be a memorial for you and celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day you must remove all the yeast from your houses. And whoever eats what is leavened from the first day to the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. And no work may be done on those days except for preparing what the people will need to eat. And you may only do that. I will execute my judgments against all the gods of Egypt. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. It was a terrifying night. For the people of Israel. It was a night when everybody knew how awesome, powerful, all-knowing, all-powerful that you are. Forgive us, O Lord, for taking your presence for granted, for taking your commandments as suggestions for being unwilling and unable to move when you say it's time to go. So as you prepared your people for the freedom you were bringing them, prepare us now that we may leave this moment free. Free from all the false gods in their lives. Free only to serve and love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You can poke one too many times. And the problem is, you don't know when too many times is until that last poke. You see it all the time with siblings, don't you? There's always one sibling that's the aggravator. There's one sibling who is the aggravated. And the aggravator will poke and poke, stop it. Poke, stop it. Mom, Dad, tell them to stop, stop it. And then there'll be that last poke when all of the fury will be unleashed. And the aggravator will be pummeled by the aggravated. What happened? What was that last poke? It's the same with a dog. Little kid, a poke a dog, poke a dog, poke a dog. And then the dog will bark and snap. What happened? You only get so many pokes. How many pokes does Pharaoh get? How many, how many times does he get to say, God, you are not God. You are not in control of Egypt. I am. I'll make the decisions on who goes and who stays, who gets up, who goes to work, where they go to work, what they do, and what they get paid. I will make all of those decisions for in Egypt I am God and not you. How many times does Pharaoh get to say that? Once? Twice? 
ten times. Pharaoh had run out of pokes. And this is an awful, awful night. Don't walk by it too fast. Don't paint some shiny veneer over it. This is an awful, awful night. One through nine, each plague had been against something that Egypt worshipped. God had attacked one of the gods of Egypt. Now, tonight, he would attack the last one, Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh claimed to be a god. Pharaoh claimed to be the son of Ra, the son of the sun god. He thought his child was the son of the sun god and that through him that power had been passed on and that the future was secure, Egypt's future was secure because this son was alive. The power was in the child. And tonight Pharaoh would learn that not only Egypt belongs to God, but so does the future. Now a lot of us get angry right now because we think God is not fair. How could God do this? We know Pharaoh is, is a, a lousy person. We know he's evil. We know he deserves all that God brings against him. We know that. But his son? What has Pharaoh's kid done? All right, hold that thought. I'm going to step back here and just talk to you and me. Okay, before we get all self-righteous, Let's understand, it's always the kids that pay. Okay? It's always the kids that pay. The kids were marching all weekend because they don't feel safe in their schools. Because most of us won't make the decisions we need to make to protect them in their own schools. Kids pay. Do you know what's going on with our students, our young people in America? Do you know how high the anxiety is? The depression is? How desperate our kids are because they're afraid they won't live up to mom and dad's expectations? Because they can't take the pressure that the parents put on them? I'm not making this up. We sacrifice our children on the altars of our own egos all the time. The only difference between you and Pharaoh, between me and Pharaoh, is that it's just a little more obvious. But the sacrifice is the same, the pain is the same, the suffering's the same. We always make the children pay. And now the one thing that Pharaoh trusted in would be taken from him. The cattle, the animals that the Egyptians grew for food, the horses that they trained for war to pull their chariots. No one escaped. Nothing escaped. 
Can you imagine the screams from house to house when the parents would wake up and realize their son was dead? Except no one was crying in the Hebrew side of town. There's always a way out. Okay, some of you think you're trapped. And some of you think you have used your last poke. But there's always a way out. And God gave his children a way out. Now, it's not the way we would have chosen. Not one of us would say, go find a perfect lamb, a perfect goat, a perfect kid, and sacrifice that goat and take the blood and wipe it all over your doors and, and eat standing up and eat while, it is, uh, while it's barely cooked, roast it over fire, no time for water to boil, no time for the bread to rise. This thing is to be eaten in a hurry. Like some of us did when we were living alone as a bachelor, right? You would get the frozen dinner and you would eat it frozen Oh, don't look at me like I'm the only one who did that. I'll call some of you out. Now, right? Because you didn't have time to put it in the microwave. You're supposed to eat it that fast. You're in a hurry. You've got to go. God's moving. And you're going to have to be ready to move with Him. And it was messy. And the reason it's messy is that you and I forget. We don't understand how messy sin is, what it does. Okay, most of us think of sin as a goof, as a mistake or a fumble. You know, you know I'm human. Yeah, I make mistakes. I'm human. I can't help that. No, no, no. What sin does, it wounds, it cuts. It bleeds. And when you do it, you can't fix it. Okay, most of us think forgiveness is just spoken. That if I just say the word forgiveness, you're forgiven. Uh-uh. Forgiveness is born. It is carried. Okay, let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, I've been married 37, uh, 37 years, 37 and a half years, almost 38 years. June will be 38 years. Okay, that's a miracle in itself. All right? But um, that's long enough for me to do something stupid. Okay, if I say something to Jeannie and I hurt her feelings, and I know I've hurt her, okay, I go and I say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I won't ever say that again. And she believes me. She knows I am sorry. She knows I won't do that again. She believes me. What happened to the pain in her? when I apologized. Nothing. Nothing. The pain is still there. As much as I love her, as much as I want to, I can't take that pain out of her life. The only person that can take that pain out of her life is Jesus. She has to carry that pain to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know that husband you gave me? He did it again. And Jesus pours love into her life 
that, bring, that provides the forgiveness to me. See, she can't just speak it. She has to carry it. So we think, well, I'm sorry. Say you forgive me. Uh-uh. It's not that easy. Pain's still there. The wound still there. Sin is messy. Sin destroys. Now, I know some of you think you have your own private sin, right? This is my little sin. It's not hurting anybody. It's just mine. Nobody else knows about it. How, how many times have I told you sin is like kudzu? Okay? It's not just going to stay in one little area of your heart. You just can't plant it here in your little window box and think it's going to stay there. It's going to overgrow your heart. Because, see, what you do in your private life changes the way you think. What you do in your private life just determines how you see. It determines what you know. It determines what you feel. And that determines how you act. Don't tell me it doesn't make any difference to the people around you. So what are you going to do? How are you going to find that perfect thing? We're always looking for the perfect moment, right? A young man wants to ask a young lady to marry him. So everything has to be perfect. There have to be flowers and, and music and the right restaurant. And everything has to be perfect. And he plans and he plans. And the night comes and, well, it's close enough. It's never perfect. It rains. The restaurant messes up the orders. It's always something. It's never perfect, is it? So you look for some way to make it up, for some way to fix it, and you can't. It's never perfect, never good enough. And so God gives you perfect. God gives me perfect. In the life of Jesus Christ, I know it is messy. I know it is ugly. I know when you sit and meditate on the cross, you cannot believe the horror that Jesus endured, the torture that was part of his death. I know that, but that's what sin cost. That's what it does. But you're offered a way out. Amen. Christ has come. And on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he took the cup. And he told his disciples, this is my body, this is my blood. It's given for you in payment of your sin. The debt you can't pay. The crime you can't fix. Is now covered. His blood marks our lives just like it marked the doors of the Hebrews. So we invite you now to come to the table of the Lord. The deacons will be taking their place, preparing to serve you as they prepare. Use these moments to prepare your own heart for the receiving of the Lord's Supper. If you belong to the Lord Jesus and he belongs to you, then this belongs to you. Join us as a brother. Join us as a sister. 
as we come now to the table of the Lord. For some of us, it has to be real before we can believe it. Some of us aren't good discussing ideas and theories. Some of us have to have something tangible, something we can hold on to. 
So we come to church, we bring in all of our stuff. You hear somebody tell you that Christ loves you, that Christ forgives you, but it's not real. Not for you, you have to have something you can touch. <laughs> so here you go. Something you can hold, something you can touch. You see, Jesus understood that some of us learn different ways, some of us experience different ways, and he knew that right now on your journey, as much pain as you feel, as deeply as you hurt, you would need something more than nice words. You would need something to hold. So it's a piece of the bread, kind of like what was eaten that first night where the Hebrews were leaving Egypt. It's what Jesus gave his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. It's what he now gives you to hold on to. So you will know that forgiveness is more than just spoken, but forgiveness is born, carried in his body for you. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat all of it. We have no way of understanding what it cost you the day that you paid for our sins. We only know this. And if we stand before your cross and think about your sacrifice, we give you everything we are. No, it doesn't make us even. It's just all we have. So take our lives and use them however you need to, however pleases you, so that no one doesn't hear that a Savior has died for them. We pray this in your name. love for us. Will you sing with me? How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out a 
among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Let's lift this last verse now. So take the blood from the lamb. Take the blood from the kid, baby goat. And place it on the doorpost and the lintel of your house. And mark yourself as his. Be very careful in this moment. For you're about to be marked. You're about to be set apart, distinguished as his. Not just on the doorpost, but covered. The blood of Christ shed for you, it covers all of our sins. Take and drink. As we remember, O oh Lord, the life that you gave to us. Let every breath, let every heartbeat, let every action, every thought be lived for you. With your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, thinking about your own relationship with Jesus Christ. This may be the first time you thought about it. You just know how badly you hurt. You just know how many mistakes you've made. You just know how scared you are that the people around you will find out who you are and what you've done.
but it was Christ who drew you here today. It was Christ himself who invited you so that you could know for yourself that forgiveness isn't just spoken, but forgiveness is carried. Forgiveness is born. And he has borne it. And he offers you freedom this morning, freedom from your past, freedom to a new future. Now, I know I'm saying a whole lot in a handful of words, and you may not know all that that means, and that's fine. That's why our ministers, our counselors are waiting right outside the doors at a big table that says next steps. They want to pick up the conversation. Just, want to, just go to them and say, hey, I want to know more about what Mike was talking about. They'll pick it up from there. Perhaps to become part of our church fellowship, whatever it is, you come. They're waiting for you where you are. Or as you come, Jesus himself will be waiting for you where you are. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray the choices we make now are exactly what you want.